This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, snoozing our way into episode number seven. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast. The tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, this is Kristen Burgess from naturalbirthandbabycare.com, and I'm here with you today bringing you a great episode of the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast. This week is going to be a little bit different like last week. It's going to be a shorter podcast for me because hopefully by the time you're listening to this, I'm going to be cuddling a newborn baby. As I record right now, I'm about two and a half weeks out to baby's due date, so baby could arrive any time or come late. But my babies tend to come pretty close to their due dates, so I'm trying to get everything ready so that I can spend the next couple of weeks just relaxing and waiting on my baby. What I do have for you today is a fantastic interview with Malia Jacobson, who is a journalist, a sleep researcher, and an author, and she has just done a fantastic job researching sleep for parents, babies, toddlers, and you really need to listen to the interview with her because she gives some fantastic practical advice, very down to earth. At the same time, it's very gentle and respectful of the needs of your baby and toddler. So be sure to listen in and enjoy the interview. This is Kristen Burgess with the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast. And today I have Malia Jacobson, sleep journalist, columnist, and author of Sleep Tight Every Night, helping toddlers and preschoolers sleep well without tears, tricks, or tirades on the podcast with me. Thank you so much for being here with us, Malia. I'm thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you, Kristen. I'm thrilled to be here. Great. Okay, let's dive right into things. We have a lot of tired mommies and daddies listening. Malia, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, especially how you got interested in sleep? Sure. Well, as you mentioned, I'm a sleep journalist, columnist, and an author. My work has appeared in national magazines like Costco Connection and Women's Health and over 80 regional parenting magazines across the U.S. And I really became interested in sleep after my first daughter was born in 2006. She had trouble sleeping from the beginning. She woke every 45 minutes around the clock for months. And that was when I really became interested in sleep because I saw how profoundly this impacted my life. I had no idea before I became a parent what dealing with this would, would feel like. My immune system shut down. I couldn't make decisions. I was really overjoyed to be a mom, but I was also pretty miserable, too, at the same time. And so that's when I really saw how um, how sleep really plays such a big role in how we function as people and as parents. Yeah, I every 45 minutes, that's definitely pretty challenging. <laughs> yeah, that was a big challenge. Yeah, how did, how did you get from that point to starting to help other parents find sleep solutions for their families? Well, I'm the type of person where if there's a problem, I'm going to find a solution. And I, I read every sleep book out there, you know, as much as I could. I was so sleep deprived. But I read every sleep book out there. I scoured the Internet. And soon I was spending so much time at a global sleep website and really sharing what I would learned with other parents that I was asked to become a moderator of that website. So that gave me the opportunity to answer sleep questions from parents from around the world. And that was really wonderful because I got to see that we all deal with the same things when it comes to helping our baby sleep. Really, whether you live 
in Argentina or in the U.S. I mean, it's, it's really some of the same struggles that we all have. When I began my career in freelance journalism, sleep was the topic I knew best, so that's really what I was naturally drawn to, and I've really enjoyed sharing what I've learned with other parents. Cool. Okay, you touched on this a little bit when you were sharing your story, but as parents, most of us, we joke about getting more sleep, but can you really, why is sleep so important for us and for our little ones? Sure. Well, you know, sleep science is an emerging field, and that's what makes it so exciting to cover as a journalist because there's always new studies coming out showing us why sleep is so important, and it's really something that we're just just beginning to grasp because for years nobody really knew what was happening during sleep. And there's so many things, but I can just highlight a few. Based on new studies, we know that adequate sleep helps babies learn and retain information, and really learning and retaining information is a baby's primary job. They're absorbing everything in their environment, and adequate sleep helps them to do so and to retain that information. One that's kind of surprising is that toddlers who don't sleep enough can have mood and emotional problems. They have problems expressing their emotions, and that can actually have a lasting impact. So that's toddlers who don't sleep enough and don't nap. For school-aged children, we know that sleep is really vital to learning. Inadequate sleep is linked to ADHD, and it can even lead to faux ADHD, which is what doctors call a misdiagnosed ADHD, which is brought on by overtiredness. And children display symptoms of hyperactivity and are sometimes misdiagnosed and mismedicated because they don't really have ADHD. They're just tired. And that's very interesting. Mm. Oh, yeah, so there's, so there's so many things. And how, why is it so important for us as parents? I mean, it's almost a cliche that we are going to be sleep-deprived. But And, again, you said sure. some things like you could hardly function, and that's really real problem, isn't it? You're, we know based on studies that your creativity suffers, your decision-making, your response time. And I can think of anything that's more important than, than response time or than creativity, fast decision-making. When you're a parent, you have to make constant decisions. You have to be able to respond instantly if you see something, if you see your child in danger. You know, you, I think you're, not only are you a more creative parent, a more patient parent, but you're also a safer parent. And especially behind the wheel, we know that drowsy driving um, contributes to 100,000 traffic accidents per year. And when you break that down state by state and month by month, that's a lot of people getting into accidents because they are tired and parents spend a lot of time behind the wheel with their kids. So it, for me, it's a safety. It's, I mean, of course, life's more enjoyable when you're well-rested, but I think you're just um, you're better, safer, more creative parent. I think that's a great point. Okay, you recently wrote, and this I love this article, you recently wrote a great article on avoiding sleep problems in the first place. And we know why now we want to avoid sleep problems, but what are some practical steps that we as parents can take to get our newborns off to a good sleep start? Sure. Well, this is something that's on my mind because I am welcoming my third child this spring. And, you know, we know that... Thank you. Um, Newborns sleep about 16 to 20 hours right at first, but it's a mistake for brand-new parents to assume that babies sleep all the time because infant sleep needs vary so widely. So their baby may not sleep all the time. And really what I've seen through working with parents is that many of a child's sleep problems are brought on by a parent's mistaken assumptions about how much their child should be sleeping. So just because the baby down the street sleeps for 20 hours a day, your child might sleep for 14 hours a day. 
and not need as much sleep as you're trying to force on him, and, and that can be a very frustrating situation. Um, one thing that many uh, parents don't know is that newborns can only stay awake for about 30 to 45 minutes at a time before they need to sleep again. Sometimes they will stay awake for longer, especially if you're waving toys in their face or really overstimulating them. But that's, you know, they'll they'll keep their eyes open for you. Excuse me. But they're really becoming overtired. So they need to be put down to sleep again only about 30 minutes after they've woken up. So they'll take okay. they'll take many short naps throughout the day. Um, the biggest complaint that I hear from new parents about their newborn is that their newborn has the days and nights mixed up. And that's a really easy fix, but the one thing that you have to do and that many parents don't know is that you do sometimes have to wake a sleeping baby, and that's something that we're all told not to do. (laughs) But what many newborns will try and do is they'll have a four- to six-hour, their parents think it's a nap during the day. But it's not a nap. The baby is trying to make that into their nighttime stretch. They'll 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 have a four- to six-hour stretch, and if you're lucky, it'll happen at night. But many babies try and do it during the day. And parents will say, oh, he's such a good sleeper, he's napping all day, but then he won't sleep at night. And so the the really only big effort that a parent needs to make around a newborn sleep is to wake their child if that four- to six-hour stretch is occurring during the day so that his nighttime stretch of sleep can actually occur during the night. And, but other than that, you don't need to, to schedule a newborn sleep and another thing that's important to note is that, you know, newborns, we don't think of newborns as being able to put themselves to sleep or to be able to sleep independently, but of course, that's how they sleep in the womb. They sleep, they drift off to sleep without our help, and they do retain that ability once they're born. But so often we want to carry them and snuggle them, and there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we unteach them to put themselves to sleep because we don't give them the opportunity to continue using that skill. So I'm an advocate for just putting your baby down when he appears tired about 30 to 45 minutes after he has last woken up just to see if he will fall to sleep on his own. And and usually if parents start doing this from day one, they will see that their infant will at least part of the time. And of course, you give your infant the support that he needs during those times when he needs a little more help to get to sleep. That's great advice, Molly. I should. I'm sitting here thinking I should be taking notes because uh, well, <laughs> it's all, the, most of that's in the article, I think. <laughs> yeah. So, but I'm, I'm hoping by the time this episode airs, I'm going to have a baby in my arms. But as we're recording <laughs> it, it's two weeks till, and I'm sitting here thinking I, I got to write all this down so that my sleep-deprived self can look over it in two weeks. But okay. So many parents want to move away from what we see as strict baby care practices of yesteryear. So can we approach sleep habits for our children um, in a practical way that still respects babies' needs as well as our own? Yes, and I love the way you put that, in a practical way that still respects the baby's needs as well as, as our own, because that's really what my approach is all about. And I call my approach to sleep compassionate sleep support because it is about respecting and supporting a child's sleep needs in the same way that you'd support their nutrition needs or their educational needs. It, it is really about respect and working with them to end their their sleep problems, not against them. And I don't advocate cry it out, but really that it's 
And the reason for that is because, you know, nearly all childhood sleep problems are co-created by both the child and the parent. And leaving the child alone to deal with a problem that you had a hand in creating, to me, does not seem fair, But especially when there's so many alternatives to just leaving your child alone to cry. But honestly, cry it out is really a non-issue for me. It rarely comes up with the, the parents that I work with um, because, if you're really supporting your child's healthy sleep in the right way, you never need to consider cry it out. It just it doesn't come up. So it, it's really just a more respectful and harmonious approach to sleep. Okay, great. Now, can we, a lot of, most of our listeners are going to be breastfeeding their babies, and we know that those babies need to eat more often. So can we combine a nighttime feeding or nighttime feedings with getting good sleep? Yes, absolutely. And first I do want to counter that breastfed babies necessarily need to eat more often because I've nursed both my children. And, well, they need to eat. All babies need to eat quite frequently in the beginning, but after a few months they don't need to eat any more frequently than a formula-fed baby. And it's definitely a myth that formula keeps babies full longer. And I deal with – I answer – sleep questions and deal with just as many sleep problems from moms who are bottle feeding as from moms who are breastfeeding. So it's really about the child and their tendency to wake. And so what I really am, what I really advocate is for parents to get to know their child's own unique sleep needs. So how much their child, how much their child needs to sleep in a 24-hour period. And it's really quite easy to get this information by just tracking your your kid's sleep for a couple of days. And it's usually quite surprising. Parents can see how many hours their child is actually spending asleep versus how many hours they think they're spending asleep or how many hours they want them to sleep. So how this impacts night feedings is when you know how much sleep your child needs, you can kind of just naturally organize your child's day into the rest periods that he needs and sleep then consolidates into longer stretches. So what happens then is that your child will only be inclined to wake up when he or she needs to eat versus waking up throughout the night. So, you know, you're going to, as a parent, you'll feel much better during the day. You'll have much more consolidated sleep yourself if you're waking up for two feedings instead of waking up for six feedings. And I do, I work with moms who wake up every hour to feed their child during the night and then, you know, some of those times when the child is waking, it, they're not waking from hunger, but they are being fed because they're waking up and that's the way that they are then going back to sleep. So by knowing how much sleep your child needs and really working to support their sleep needs all day and all night, you're really giving them the best chance of sleeping for as long as possible before they wake for that feeding so that you're only feeding them when they're genuinely hungry and waking you know, once or twice or maybe three times at night. And that really makes a huge difference in how you feel the, the next day as a parent. And, and you know, supporting your child's sleep needs in that way really helps them to just naturally give up their feedings, their night feedings when they're ready. So people ask me, how can I get my child to drop this feeding or how can I get my child to drop that feeding? And, you know, that's really not what I do. That's not what I'm about. Um, if a child needs to eat, they need to eat. But what you want to do is make sure that you are supporting their sleep needs in a way that when they are ready to drop those feedings, the feedings just naturally fade away. They stop waking up, and you don't have to really 
deal with night weaning or anything like that. It okay. just happens naturally. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so, and you've touched on this topic a little bit, too. We covered a little bit of what's realistic to expect with newborn sleep. Um, but how will that evolve over baby's first year and as baby grows into toddlerhood and childhood? Sure. Well, as I mentioned, infants sleep around 16 to 20 hours, so that varies widely. But that only really lasts for the first couple of weeks. I think after three or four weeks, babies kind of wake up a little bit. They They don't need quite as much sleep anymore. By about three months, babies can stay awake for about, um, let's see, about 90 minutes between their sleep periods. So that's around three to four months is when babies really start to organize their naps, and they most will be taking one nap in the morning, one nap in the afternoon, and then a short nap in the late afternoon kind of dinner time hour of about 45 minutes. And that three-nap schedule usually lasts until about... Seven or eight months, babies will often drop that third nap, that third dinner time nap. So they'll just be taking two naps. But this is where it gets tricky because babies then, especially some babies that are especially alert or active or need less sleep than others, they will start the transition of dropping their morning nap as well. So sometimes it's a pretty rapid uh, transition where they drop that third dinner time nap and then they stop wanting to nap in the morning. I've written pretty extensively about this transition because it can be really confusing for parents when their baby just, their nap routine suddenly goes haywire. But the average time to drop the morning nap is 15 months, and it can occur, it can start as early as I've seen seven or eight months, and some children um, don't start the transition until 18 to 20 months. But by 24 months, pretty much all, um, all children have transitioned to just one afternoon nap. And during that time, their their total hours of sleep that they're needing aren't changing too dramatically. So usually what happens is when children drop those naps, then their bedtime gets a little earlier. Often parents are actually a little happier with their child's sleep overall when their child is taking fewer naps, which is surprising to many parents because they, they love those naps. But when the child's taking fewer naps, often then they will go to sleep earlier at night They'll sleep better at night, and they'll sleep a little later in the morning, too. So they will retain that one afternoon nap and then drop that anywhere from two and a half to five. So that varies widely, too. And it's that's another reason why I'm a, such a strong advocate for parents knowing how much sleep their child needs because that can help them kind of stay one step ahead of those transitions as they happen. And children who need less sleep than average will often drop that nap their one nap, so they'll stop napping altogether. They'll do that a little earlier than other children. And I was just working with a parent whose her daughter gave up her nap at two, and she was a little dismayed about that, and it, sometimes it does happen that early. But you can't force a child to nap, and, and that will just cause more more sleep problems than you than you want. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I, I, just, I really love your... your your child-centered approach where, you know, you look at how much sleep your child or which particular one of your children needs. So that's very cool. Yes, it's and it it's just knowing how much sleep your child needs is something that it's, it's just such an easy piece of information to obtain, but it just gives you such a wealth of information 
that can really help you. And as I just went over all the sleep transitions that happen in the first five years of a child's life, just knowing that one little piece of information can really help you to stay ahead of all those transitions and to know. And then, you know, when your family goes on vacation or when your sleep routine is totally out the window, holidays and things like that, you can really get back on track quickly because you know what time your child needs to go to bed and what, you know, how long and how often your child needs to nap. And it's it's helpful, too, when you have more than one child in the family because inevitably they will need different amounts of sleep so you can kind of stay on top of everyone's needs and it's just very, very helpful. Yeah, Maya, my, my, she's 19 months old right now, but my, my 19-month-old honor, she's really surprised me because she has just in the past, I would say the past month or so, really gotten to where she's been able to drop her morning nap, even though I've been kind of eager for her to because the grumpy I need to nap one day and I refuse to nap the other day stage is a little trying. But, uh, but right, it is. She's been my longest morning napper, and it, it was it was pretty interesting to me to see just, and she's her temperament is very definite too, and I think it fits her temperament. But it was just amazing to me that here she was at 17, 18 months, and she still was taking a morning nap when my others had really let go well before that point. So it is very, very interesting how unique our children are in everything, even sleep. Right, absolutely. And it always it seems like parents seem to get opposites. If they have one child that needs a ton of sleep, they'll you know their next child won't need as much. And that I'm kind of the reverse of that. My first child doesn't need as much sleep, and my second child, my goodness, she could sleep. You know, she needs so much sleep. I have I'm constantly, you know, when you have an older child, you have you know things and play dates and classes and things that you need to go and do and. I can't let her sleep all day, so I have to wake her up, and so poor little thing. But um, you know, it's it's challenging both ways. I think parents, you know, they think, oh, the, your kid who needs so much sleep, oh gosh, that must be so nice. But it's hard too because with those kids who need a lot of sleep, you need to really watch. You need to guard against them. They can become overtired very quickly, so they need to be hurried off to bed. Sometimes where a child who needs less sleep can be more flexible with their bedtime and you can you can get away with pushing their nap time or sometimes even skipping their naps. And with a child who needs a lot of sleep, you really can't get away with things like that. So there's pros and cons to, I think, every type of sleep temperament out there. Yep. Okay. Now let's, let's move on to the big question. I get this question tons when people email me. So... Malia, is there hope for parents and kids who are struggling with sleepless nights? Can families with young children realistically really expect to get enough sleep? Yes, absolutely they can. I know it it does seem like an insurmountable goal, and when I work with parents, often there are multiple things that are going on. It's not a quick, you know, one email or 10-minute phone call to fix, but you tackle things one by one, and it really is, something that's possible. Most of the parents that I work with have more than one child. One of my earliest uh, parents that I worked with on sleep first came to me when her second daughter was born, and she now has three children, and she says that she gets more sleep with three children (laughs) than she got with one child because she made some changes to the way that she was doing things, but they are a bed-sharing breastfeeding family, and they've realized that you 
can get enough sleep and have and, and parent in the way that you want to parent. And it's really, and I don't want to oversimplify it because I know that, that there's some complex challenges that parents face when it comes to this topic, but it's really about prioritizing your child's sleep just the same way that you prioritize their nutrition and, and some of those other things. And it's really we've sort of been taught as parents to put sleep on the back burner and that, oh, they'll learn to sleep eventually, and you know, but we're so conscientious about their, the safety of their car seat and the safety of the laundry detergent that we use and everything that touches their body and everything that they ingest. And it's really just thinking about sleep in that same way, not, not that it's something that parents need to obsess about, but just, you know, prioritizing it in that same way and just approaching it from the viewpoint of, you know, a family is a unit and what's good for one member of the family is really good for everyone in the family. If everyone in the family is well-rested and healthy, then that's going to be the best family that it can be. So that's why I, I advocate for parents to really support their child's sleep in the best way that they can because then the rewards flow back to them as a parent. Their child's happier and they're happier. And so I hope that answers your question. Yes, it is possible. And I really, when I work with parents who have, you know, very challenging sleep issues or more than one child, it's really just a matter of working working gradually and working on things uh, one by one and really tackling those issues one at a time. And it can absolutely be done. Cool. That's great. I just, I love the way I, I often tell new moms because I think that we as moms especially tend to get into the place of, I need to do everything for my baby and make sure that he or she is taken care of. And then we kind of forget that there's an us and there's a family unit. And so a lot of times I I remind them, you know, you need to think about the whole family unit too and baby is part of the family. And I just I love the way that you said a few minutes ago about how, you know, making these sleep changes to help your child really supports the health of the entire entire family. Excuse me. So I love that. Right, yes. I think having, um, really it's, I guess I take kind of a holistic view to the whole, you know, to the family as a unit and that we can't prioritize the health and well-being of one member of the family and and really not focus on the health and well-being of everyone in the family. Of course, the baby's needs take priority, but it's, it, it's really, you know, something that... Um, like you said, that the family is a unit and and what's good for one person is, is good for everyone and it's not about, um, you know, deprivation and and saying, well, I'm just going to sacrifice for a few years and, and not sleep because really when, when there's health problems and things like that that crop up in parents as a result of not sleeping, then really the whole family suffers. So it's best just to kind of take a balanced approach to it from the start. Great. All right. Thanks for that, Malia. And can you tell us a little bit more about your own resources to help sleepy families and how parents can get information about you and what you offer? Sure. I have a blog at thewellrestedfamily.com, and that's also linked from my own website, which is maliajacobson.com. And on my blog, I answer sleep questions from parents every Friday as a part of my Ask Malia series. And these are these are questions that I get from real parents, and they 
cover topics from newborns all the way to teenagers, and so that's something that parents enjoy looking through because they can usually find something that they're dealing with in those parent questions. And I have many other resources on my blog as well, um, overtiredness, potty training, just a wide range of topics. And there, there are also links to articles that I've published. My first ebook, Ready, Set, Sleep, um, is aimed for parents of children birth through age three. And that has um, 50 mom-tested solutions for helping babies and toddlers sleep better, and so I have that linked from my website. It's available on Amazon.com as well as from my website, and parents can stat and read parent reviews and so forth. And then my next ebook, which I'm very excited about, which you mentioned, is Sleep Tight Every Night, Helping Toddlers and Preschoolers Sleep Well Without Tears, Tricks, and Tirades, and that's a follow-up to Ready, Set, Sleep. After I wrote Ready, Set, Sleep, I got so many questions that really related to children in the toddler and preschool years, and that the age of my own children as well, and so I know that the toddler and preschool years can present some pretty significant challenges to parents, and it's kind of when parents expect their children to start sleeping better, and sometimes that doesn't happen, so that can lead to a lot of parental frustration. So I wrote this book and really based it on the top questions that I was getting from my readers, and it launches next week, January 15th, so I'm very excited about that. All right, that's awesome. And when this podcast airs, it should be live. So, yes, yes, it will be live. And I'm just I'm so excited for parents to get their hands on what I've been working on because I, I really like sharing what I've learned with other parents so that they can take it and use it in their own homes. All right, that's awesome, Malia. Thank you so much. I will include all those links in the show notes so any listeners can get to them quickly. And again, thank you so much for uh, sharing your expertise and your very practical, down-to-earth, wonderful advice with us. And thank you for being a guest here on the show. Thank you so much, Kristen. Okay. I hope you got as much out of that interview as I did. I was seriously sitting there wishing that I brought a piece of paper to scribble notes. And I know that I'm going to have to go back and listen to it because there's just so much practical advice packed into everything that Malia said. And I love her style. So down to earth yet so respectful. It's just wonderful. Remember that you can find things about anything you need about her at maliajacobson.com. And you can get more information in the show notes as well. I'll have all of that there for you in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening in this week. Please remember, leave us a rating on iTunes. I really appreciate your feedback. If you loved it, give a good rating. If you thought that I could improve on something, let me know that too. I really want to know what you think of the show. So head over to iTunes, give a rating. And again, thank you so much to Malia for the wonderful interview. And thank you so much to all of my listeners out there. And I will see you in a couple of weeks. Hopefully, remember, we have a new baby right now. So if the next episode is delayed, then you'll know why. It's because baby's keeping me busy. But, uh, but hopefully you'll get another episode in two weeks. And thank you so much for being a listener of the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.